Hi, and welcome to Quest, a vineyard church where we strive to live life as friends with faith through knowing God, loving others, and making a difference. If you're new, there will be information at the end of this podcast to help you plug in at Quest both in person and online. Now, let's dive into this week's teaching. You've probably heard this story before. I've heard it dozens of times, and many of you have probably heard it. There's a story that goes about Charlie Brown. Charlie Brown goes out in his back one, backyard one day, and he shoots a whole bunch of arrows at his wooden privacy fence. And then he picks up the paintbrush and a can of paint, and he goes and paints the bullseye around each and every one of the arrows he shot, right? We've all heard that. It's a sure way to shoot perfectly. You never have to miss that way. You always get the best score. I actually did some research on that at a popular uh, comic history site. And I didn't realize those existed until I searched for it yesterday or the day before. And, uh, and I found out that that comic actually never existed. Did you know that? It originated with someone... And that story was retold and retold and retold until a guy named, a pastor and a famous author and a Fortune 500 consultant now named John Maxwell actually published it in a book in the 1990s. It's kind of like one of those internet truths that get passed around by so many credible people that everybody starts to believe it's actually true, right? I mean, I actually did a little more research and found out the likely origin for the story is actually a little more spiritual than Charlie Brown. It was actually a Franciscan priest named Father McCarthy who started in the early part of World War II a comic series called Brother Juniper. And uh, it was syndicated. It went to 15 million readers during World War II. It was quite, quite a big deal. And I, th- I, think, I think maybe somebody's memory just got uh, a little bit off because neither Charlie nor him have much hair. You know, I think that's probably the way it got, got started. Unfortunately, all too often, that's the way we live our lives, isn't it? Life gets going really, really fast. We fall into a pattern of just doing the next thing, solving the next problem, and we easily become caught up in the whirlwind that life is around us, believing facts and results to be true that we don't have time to really verify, like the Charlie Brown version of the story, or we shoot a lot of arrows in life, and then we draw lines around them where we shot, celebrating the result of the shot rather than being intentional about where we're going in life and what we're focused on. I mean, who of us hasn't felt at the end of a week when, like, we had double or triple or quadruple vision after certain weeks where you're running for work and you're running for an extended family crisis trying to deal with that and you're dealing with a fi- trying to fix a broken faucet at home and you got two kids and four extracurricular activities and you're busy every single night with games and concerts and practices and you feed half the family at 4 p.m. and the rest gets fed at 9 p.m. while you're trying to get the kids to do homework and showered into bed and, and then you finally answer that, that email you didn't get to, right? We've all got that experience in our our lives at times. And this series is called Our Quest, and it's about us learning to be intentional in about where we're going. Now, I announced last week there was going to be a three-week series, sorry. After getting into it this week, it's going to be a four-week series. So last week, I also told you you're going to hear a really fun story in three weeks about this God encounter between people that shows an amazing... Oops, there's that word, amazing again, right? i got to work on that. This risen Lord is alive, that Jesus is alive and communicates well with us and shows us how good He is. That's going to be three weeks from today, so sorry to make you wait on that. Over the next four weeks... I'm going to invite you to individually focus together. So life is more likely to end up where God 
this good plan for your life intends it to end up. The Gospels actually describe Jesus growing in this way in a real summary fashion in Luke 2.52. It says, Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. And that's what faithful, being faithful to God in our faith is supposed to result in for all of our lives. We actually had surrounding this topic that kind of is the genesis of this series a, a really productive, wonderful elder board discussion not that long ago. Uh, we've been wrestling with these core questions, which is really what the elder board's primary responsibility is. It's to ask the questions, how do we define clearly what being a disciple of Jesus is? And how do we focus what that means so that we know how to become that good follower, faithful, growing disciple of Jesus. And you'd be probably surprised. There are a whole lot of different definitions as to what that means. It's actually not quite as easy and as clear of an answer as you might think. And in that process, we concluded as a board, elder board that we have a really solid faith statement that provides us critical foundation for what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And we went through each one of the values one at a time and talked about them. And we looked at them and we said, you know, these are really solid values that describe the unique aspect of who we are called to be as we follow Jesus as quest in this community. I mean, we have great values. One of our values is relationships are the mission. We often talk about that in this term. We say we live life as friends with faith because we believe that Jesus is alive and present through his Holy Spirit with us. And he wants us to be more than religious or moral or just great character people. He wants a real relationship with each and every one of us. And as a result of that, he wants us to also thrive in our relationships with other people because life and growth happens because of quality of friendships, not because of what we know or what we do. It happens by friendships walking us through those times and molding that change. We also talk as a value about relationship above differences, and that one's just this, that Jesus came to bridge relationship with people, didn't he? Jesus came to people who were not his followers to build a relationship with him. He came to people who wanted to follow him but failed all too often to build relationship with them. He came even to his enemies to build relationship with them. If we want to live in that kind of followership of Jesus, in that grace, then we need to learn to have that same kind of strong grace that he had, which means we need to learn to be committed to relationships even when we have significant differences, even with people we would label as our enemies at times. You see, too many of us all too often have bounced from church to church looking for better preaching or better music or better programs or better something and, or a smaller church or a larger church or whatever it is. And, and often those changes happen in our lives when we've had disagreement or when we've been hurt in some way in the last situation, right? And see, when we leave and change too easily because of differences, whether in a church or a friendship or a company, a job or a marriage, we never become like Jesus because we never grow in the grace to cover those relationship differences in those settings. We also talk on one of our values about being self-feeding people, that if we're maturing, we become more and more responsible for our own growth instead of needing to be fed by other people. 
So the questions that come out of that for us are, are these. Do you come to church prepared to glean whatever God has for you that day? Whether it's a particularly easy day to listen to me or someone else because we're interesting that day or not. Or whether it takes concentrated focus. Do we come with the intention of discovering what God has for us each day? And what do we do throughout the week to intentionally feed ourselves? Do we do prayer, silence, meditation, Bible study, small group? What are we intentionally doing to personally be responsible for our own growth and not relying too much on others for a meal plan and delivering the food? We also have a value called deeply spiritual, deeply practical. And we endeavor to do this by exploring both really deeply spiritual practices and habits and beliefs and talk about some of the, the things that the mystics talk about. But we also talk about very practical things that deal with our everyday life because the reality is that all truth is God's truth. Whether it comes from the Bible or a theology book or a science book or a psychology book or a time management book or a business leadership book, We may need to sift things in some of those books according to the Bible. If it's not the Bible, we may need to sift things for truth, but all truth is God's truth. And the reality is our lives are not just spiritual and moral. They are very practical, oriented in work and habits and family and relationships. We also value the fact that maturity equals reproduction. When a lot of people talk about being mature in your faith... You tend to think about becoming bigger and stronger morally, character-wise, and theologically, right? That's part of it. But a big, strong tree that multiplies no fruit is not mature. It's only old and barren, right? See, Jesus' definition of maturity all throughout the Gospels is that we generously give of what we have to others. We multiply what little we have in other people's lives, and then God gives us more. It's that whole blessed to be a blessing. It's that whole being prospered to be generous, being successful to be able to impart confidence and wisdom from our success to other people. See, we grow in maturity as followers of Christ by multiplying in others and giving what we have right now, no matter how big or how small that is. If all you know how to do is pray, then pray with someone who doesn't know how to pray. If all you know how to do is invite someone to church, but you're not confident about sharing deeply about your faith, then multiply that inviting spirit with somebody else, right? If you've learned to share your faith winsomely with someone who's going through the grief and loss of a death of a loved one, then share that ability with someone else. If you know how to journal what God's speaking to you as you do your quiet time and reading the Bible, then teach someone else how to do that. If you know how to teach children Bible stories well, then teach someone else. If you know how to make a stranger feel welcome, then teach someone else how to make a stranger feel welcome by being a part of the greeting team or by welcoming people to your small group and and spread that. If you know how to hear God for a major decision in your life, then coach a friend through learning how to hear God through a major decision in their life as well. Because maturity, the way Jesus defines it, is about reproducing in someone else what God has placed in you. Because Jesus didn't say, know about me. He said, follow me and be like me. It's not just reading about him and knowing him. Being a disciple is active. We minister, 
We give what we have and we, we reproduce. And that is what makes us mature as followers of Jesus. Actually, one of my, one of my other values that's my favorite from the wording standpoint is a value we just talk about. Oops, try again. And it's, it's this idea that God doesn't expect perfection. He expects a heart open to correction. And He wants us to risk and take steps of faith and to know that we're so loved and we're so accepted that when we fail, we don't have to be defensive. We don't have to give up. We can instead get back up and we can try again the second time or the third time or the tenth time with as much joy as we had the first time. And a final value we talk about a lot at Quest is a vineyard value that's everyone plays. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit is given to everyone who is a follower of Jesus. That same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. The same Spirit that gives words of prophecy and knowledge and healing and wisdom and miracles and faith and evangelism. He gives gifts of hospitality and leadership and service. He wants, God wants all of us to cooperate with the Holy Spirit in learning to minister to other people. So we as a church all practice Learning to give room. Learning to do the stuff that the Bible talks about in terms of caring and ministering and praying for one another. Because the Bible also used the term around that, we are all the body of Christ. And the reality is if we don't all play our part, if we don't do what we were designed to do by God in the body, then that leaves our church disabled. We live disabled, if not everybody does what God's called them to do. So as a board, we wrestled with these things, and we were really excited about the fact that we saw so many of you buying into these values and living them out, especially the values of a relationship, because it's friendship. It's, it's that where God does most of his work through us in the good and the tough times. I mean, just think about Wendy talking last week about the five funerals in five weeks. And it was amazing to watch this idea of friendship grow in that time or be expressed. There were so many people who showed up to be near these families and they were so caring for them that they were almost people as close as friends, maybe or as close as family, and sometimes their, the friends here were closer than family caring for them. But we felt like there was still something lacking, still something lacking. I mean, Jesus models for us that it's all about relationship and being a disciple, I mean, he discipled people that way. Everything he did was in friendship and relationship. But as the elders, and we, we wrestled with this more, the reality became even more clear to us that each one of us as people and each one of Jesus' disciples had to start that journey of relationship and continue that journey of discipleship with him by making first some personal decisions. We live everything out in relationship, but we start by making some personal decisions first. And that's so biblical. I mean, you look at all over, but this is just one sample. The wise words of Solomon in Proverbs 2, he says it this way. He says, my son, if you accept, see, a personal intentional decision, accept my words and store up another active intentional decision to learn my commands within you, turning this active intentional decision to change your ear to wisdom and applying this active decision to obey your heart to understanding. Indeed, if you call out for insight, a personal active decision to ask for help and cry aloud for understanding. And if you look, a personal decision to focus for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then 
And now Solomon's getting into this, what we get when we make these decisions, what we begin to discover. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Not just our ideas, our opinions, our preferences, or our culture's preferences, but you'll find real truth that works and brings blessing in real life. For, and now here's where he starts to get into the promise, for the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He holds success in store for the upright. He holds this vibrant, colorful, full life. He is a shield to those who walk, whose walk is blameless. He holds a protected life for us. For he guards the course of the just. He guards a purposeful, directed life for us. And he protects the way of his faithful ones. He gives us the secure life of friendship with God. If you want a meaningful, vibrant, colorful life, you live in that place by making regular, personal, intentional, active decisions. So even though our mission is all about relationship, it starts with personal decisions. And so the elders came up with a way that's actually going to frame the next three weeks, and I'll just summarize that, what's coming up for you just right now, because it, it leads us to this promised, vibrant life. We summarized it this way. We said we need to make personal growth decisions. See, unless we're making intentional, regular decisions to grow as a person, we're declining. We're either growing or we're dying. There's no in-between, right? In personal mission, we make decisions for personal missions. Unless we force ourselves and make decisions to be outwardly focused on others, we will naturally become selfish, focused on gratifying our own ideas and our own desires, and we will miss out on the true reward in life, which is love and friendship, caring for others, making a a meaningful difference. Uh, Paul puts it in Ephesians 2.10 this way. He says, God has prepared good works for you to do in advance, for you to enjoy being a part of every single day. And the question is, do we live every single day with this eager sense of anticipation, of serving, of of this outward focus, this joyful anticipation that we get to make a positive impact in somebody else's life today? We also talk about decisions for personal stewardship because unless we manage our time and our energy, unless we manage our finances, unless we manage our resources well, we can have fantastic personal growth goals, and great goals about God's mission, and we will never achieve them because we don't focus what we've been given on the right things. We don't put our resources where we want our heart to be. I was thinking about this last week, and I was thinking about how many times I've heard from people in business and experienced this in the past when I was doing things outside the church as well. We, we, there's this general dread in, in business about inventory and planning season, right? Many of you experienced it. We hate having to time, take time to find out what we have, what has happened, and where things are going. And we do, and doing all the work of redefining a new bullseye for the next year, right? I mean, sometimes we don't like to do it because we don't, we realize we may not have hit the target we had for last year and we fear the accountability or the rejection from the team or the boss or we dread facing those feelings that we're not succeeding like we really want to. But I think most of the times we dread inventory and planning season because we still have to do all the other work. 
We have to do all the sales, the shipping, the ordering, the accounting, the people management, the customer service, all while we add lots of extra hours on to just figure out what we have, do all the evaluation stuff, and figure out goals, bullseyes for the next year. Right? But for the mass majority of us in business, we take the time to do it regularly, don't we? We do inventory. We evaluate. We refocus the bullseye for our business. Because of what? Because of the benefit and the success that process brings. But it's very much less frequent that we do that in our personal lives, isn't it? That we take time to intentionally inventory our lives and define a new personal bullseye for our life. And that's also what the intentionality of this series is about in our quest. It's still our quest. We still do it together. But it starts with personal decisions to refocus, to evaluate, to do inventory, to listen where God wants to take us next. Getting to the goal starts with personal decisions. But we never make it there without the relationships around us, the friends around us, cheering us on, supporting us, serving with us, because no one has ever accomplished anything of any kind of significance alone. There are always relationships and friends who walk that gap between personal decision and fulfillment in life. So each of the coming three weeks, I'm gonna, I, I hope that you will walk away with either a new defined bullseye painted for an area of your life, or I hope that you'll go home and take part of Sunday afternoon or some of your quiet times with God during the week to spend some time allowing God to speak to you about an inventory and, and defining a new bullseye for your life. Now, now, many of you, when you do that process, you're going to be tempted to create this really long laundry list of new bullseyes that you need to hit. All these things that you want to fix and want to shoot for. But if your whole fence is full of bullseyes, you still don't ever get refined, more skilled, more focused in life, do you? So I want to encourage you over the next few weeks to pick one new bullseye. One for personal growth, one for personal mission, one for personal stewardship. Because if there's anything I've learned in leadership, if there's anything I've learned about the way I motivate myself, and my wife graciously reminded me this is so much a good application for parenting too, you don't get very far focusing in life on a lot of things, do you? It's easy for every one of us to point out all the inadequacies in our life. It's easy to look at our kids and see all the areas that they need to grow in, all the areas that we need to work in, all the areas that we feel like we're failing in. But do you remember maybe possibly as a kid what it was like when your parents asked you to change a whole boatload of stuff all at once? Do you remember what that felt like? See, when we focus on needing to change everything in life, we all tend to feel guilty. We feel overwhelmed, don't we? Our attitudes start to go down and we start lacking joy and hope and instead we simply face life by thinking either, by either feeling angry and giving up or we go the opposite and we feel driven and frustrated like we have to constantly try to prove ourselves and there's this tension. Change, positive change in all of our lives requires focus. I mean, the best parenting books out there will say to you, for your kids, think of just one goal for the next three, six, or nine months. Don't do a bunch of them. Just focus on one thing. And I've seen that in business and ministry as well. We just go through life in business or, or ministry. We just we decide oh, we're going to maintain a whole bunch of relatively healthy things, but we're going to focus our energy on one 
thing. And what usually happens is you find more growth and that one thing also brings the other things a few steps forward as well in life. So the big question the next three weeks is going to be this. What one thing is God wanting me to focus on from this message for the next few months? And then I want you to go out and I want you to do that with friends. And I'm going to ask you one other thing. I'm telling you in advance to prepare you for this. It's not going to start till next week. When you identify that one thing over the next few weeks, what I want you to do is I want you to share it with us at gotoquest.org slash share. It's the same thing we used when we did live interaction Q&A in our messages a little while ago. It's the same thing. It's it's anonymous. But what I want you to do that for is because I want to know what you guys are are pursuing so that we can think about messages or illustrations or topics for our quest groups or other resources that we might be able to provide that might help you along in your journey. So will you do that? When you identify those things you feel like God wants you to work on, will you share them with us anonymously at that web link? Now, we're going to take a a turn here, and I want to just end by focusing in a completely different way today, what we're going to do. I want to give each of you a way that you can look at God's grace and allow yourself to experience His grace more with a sense of peace and contentment when all you can see in life as you do this inventory is all this long list of laundry things that you need to fix and change and clean up in your life. See, there's this, there's this place of internal rest, the book of Hebrews tells us in the Bible, that we can enter and walk in internally in ourselves, a place of settled, contented rest, even in our imperfection. But how do we do that? I mean... How can we live content while there is yet so much ongoing pain from our own sin or our own lack or the imperfections of life around us and the circumstances? How do we rest internally when we have a passion and a dream for a better future, but that, and that dream drives our every breath, and, but the dream is so big, it's so beyond us, it's so much work, it feels like it's so far away that it's always this thing just driving us to get there? whether that dream is for business or or for marriage or family or some other personal thing or ministry. We only have a few minutes left, so I want to focus this by talking about a couple verses that center around one of the core doctrines, and I'm going to ask you for a very specific application this week. One of the core doctrines of Christianity is called the doctrine of justification. And the truth of this is, is, is powerful because it leads us to this view of life where we can experience life and we can experience God in a different way. Because the doctrine of justification says this. It says, when you receive Jesus as the one who forgives you of all of your sin, what you're receiving is this gift of a verdict that says not guilty over your life. Meaning, now you get to experience relationship with God justified, just as if you had never sinned. It's actually this word justified in the Greek is a legal word. It's this picture of a judge pardoning you. And, it, and sometimes we struggle with this concept because we go, is it not unjust or arbitrary for Jesus to do that? I mean, shouldn't people pay for their own sin, Right? I mean, if they don't, then where is the justice if people don't pay for their own sin? Where is the justice in that? But see, the point of Jesus going to the cross is that he recognized that sin requires judgment, that violation of the law requires judgment, and he took that judgment upon himself so that he could fulfill both justice and he could be just and merciful at the same time towards us. 
Justification is like a person convicted of a crime and sentenced to hard labor for the rest of their life. And they're standing in the courtroom and Jesus walks up beside him and says to the judge, I'll take his penalty. I'll do the hard labor for him. Set him free. That's one picture of justification. Jesus substituting himself. Justification is also like a person convicted of a murder being pardoned. And then not only pardoned, but the entire record is erased so that they're able to move on in life as if it had never happened in relationship with God. They get to vote again, if we're talking about a felony conviction in the United States. They get to vote again. They get to get a job that requires a background check. They, they don't have to carry the title of ex-con as part of their identity for the rest of their life. It's all gone away. Paul describes this doctrine in Romans 5.1. He says this. He says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace. Is that what you experience when you do an inventory of your life and you come up with a laundry list of character growth things, of personal growth things, of things you need and you want to improve in order to fulfill your dreams in life? Is that what you feel, peace, when you do that? When you do the inventory and see all those things in front of you that you want to change, that you feel like a failure or you feel inadequate in, is that what you feel? Peace? That's what Jesus wants us to feel, even in the face of that. The question is, why don't we? Why don't we? I think it's because when we look at all the things we do wrong, the things that are yet unresolved, the laundry list of issues we feel like we need to grow in, it leaves us feeling like that until we grow, we're trapped in this less than life, this, this place where we, we can't experience the right and best and good until we've fixed it all. And I think we don't feel peace because we expect judgment and anger and wrath from others. We expect anger from our boss when we don't do a good job, when we fail, when we don't, when we don't perform as they expect, right? We expect disapproval from others if we fail them. We, we, we even, we even give our own selves wrath. When we don't live up to our own expectations, we get angry at ourselves and we drive ourselves. We expect anger from our spouse or our parents or our friends when we fail them. Even when we know that we are forgiven by God, we still often view Him as angry with us and disappointed in us, as approaching us with a wrathful demeanor when we mess up. We anticipate feeling the whip on our back. You should be better. You should just be stronger. You should be smarter. I'm smarter than that. You should be smarter than that. You should be faster. You should be more disciplined. You should be more focused. But a few verses later, Paul actually anticipates that expectation in us. And he talks about justification again, and he says this in verse 9. Since we have now been justified by his blood, since we've been forgiven, how much more, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? How much more should we not expect God to approach us with a wrathful demeanor or a disappointed demeanor, but rather with a loving, gentle, encouraging, wanting to be with us in the process kind of demeanor. There's this beautiful illustration in the 1990s version movie of Les Mis. Jean Valjean is a peasant. 
He's just gotten out of prison after 19 years. He was in prison for stealing a loaf of bread for his starving sister's family, and then his sentence kept getting longer and longer because he tried to escape a number of times, doing hard labor for 19 years. He's out now, and he's unable to get a job because he's an ex-con. I want you to watch this clip, and as you watch it, imagine that you are this character played by Liam Neeson in the clip. He's actually in a monastery about to steal some stuff to try to meet his needs. Feel what it feels like. Think what he is thinking. Put yourself in his shoes. What were you feeling as Neeson's character in that moment when the bishop says, you no longer belong to evil. With the silver I bought your soul. I've ransomed you from fear and hatred. And now I give you back to God. Because what Jesus says to you is you've been bought. You are a new person. What do you want to be? What do you want to do in life? And see, this clip is just an imperfect, cheap version of what Jesus did for us to pay our sin. He did it with his very life to take all of our judgment that we ever deserve, that we could ever accrue any time in life. And his justification is eternally lasting. It's not just a one-time extravagant gift for one incident. This week, as part of the intentionality of our quest together in this series, I want you to make a list. I want you to make a list of everything you want to change and grow in yourself. I want you to make that laundry list of work and personal life and faith and family relationships and competencies and character areas, sin areas that you keep falling to. I want you to write it all down. And then I want you to do nothing. Nothing about solving them. No goal setting. No problem solving. I just want you to visualize and meditate on God coming to you in that moment even with that list right before you, to see and experience God smiling at you, happy to be around you. I want you to picture and I want you to feel like what it means to be justified. I know with this lame is clip that you could still feel indebted instead of free and at peace, right? He's going away with a promise he's got to fulfill and feeling really indebted. But, but Jesus wants a deeper, more free feeling for each and every one of us. He wants us to feel grateful, not indebted. He wants us to feel loved like a child, completely accepted forever, not something that you have to pay back to this great distant person. He wants you to respond to His love and to be free to give Him love, not from a sense of obligation to live a better life. So being intentional in our quest this week is all about you taking time to free your heart more, to even be able to consider changes, to even be able to consider writing new bullseyes for your life from this internal place of love and security and acceptance, of being forgiven, of being secure as a child of God, of being justified. So take the laundry list of things you think of. Write them down. Make them tangible. Make them tangible so you have to put them in writing in front of you. Put them in front of you. And then meditate and ask God to help you experience what it feels like 
to be forgiven, for those to be wiped clean, for you to be justified, for those to never, ever be held against you in your relationship with Him. Don't make any plans. Don't make any focusing goals. Just experience God and His justification. Lord, we ask that you would help us by your Spirit to do that because we know you've done that for us, Lord. We know we can think about it and we can do mental gymnastics around it. But, Lord, we ask that your Spirit would come even now, begin to come even now, as thoughts pop into our minds of things we wish we could change. And would you help us feel even your peace and your love and your acceptance even in this moment. And Lord, as this week, as we take the time to be intentional, to make very real by writing down all those things, Lord, would you come in an even more powerful way and set our hearts free to experience your love, to experience what it means to be justified. And Lord, we continue now to worship you from that posture. Thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon audio. If you are loving Quest podcast, let us know on Facebook or Twitter by using the hashtag GoToQuest. For more information about Quest, who we are and what we do, or if you would like to help support Quest financially, please visit us at GoToQuest.org. That's G-O-T-O-Quest.org. 